This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Paul Sokolis with special guest Ross Esposito with RIP Superchargers. Here we go. Hello again and welcome to another installment of the On All Cylinders Podcast. You got me for your host today, Paul Sokolis. And we've got a topic that will hopefully spark a lot of interest. And if you'll excuse that awful, awful pun, um, I'll go ahead and introduce my guest, Ross Esposito from RIP Superchargers. Ross, thank you for joining us on the show today. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Now, for this episode, we're going to be doing a really deep dive into coil packs and modern ignition technology. But before we get to all that, Ross, tell us a bit about yourself and kind of describe your path to becoming a, a super knowledgeable car guy. Uh, well, RIP has been around for quite some time. Uh, it's uh, going on 27 years now. I think we might be completing 28 at the end of at the end of this year. I you lose count, you know, after so many years. So uh, it started as a hobby, uh, you know, the company, I guess. My, my dad is a master mechanic and I grew up around his shop. You know, he's, he's from Italy. He came here in the sixties, uh, 1966. And he was a Volkswagen, uh, VW Porsche, uh, Audi technician. And he, you know, grew up in those, uh, in, in those ranks really quickly he became head mechanic. So I grew up around a lot of small displacement vehicles. Um, you know, that was a lot of fun for me, like, uh, having, uh, you know, Fiat's and MG's and, you know, he was able to point out the the nuances of every, you know, every car and you start to learn what's good and what's bad, you know, like that was really important to me back, back then. I, I, I geeked out on, on the different types of carburetors and, you know, cylinder heads and, and the way they design things, you know, English things that leaked oils and Fiat's that needed Italian tune-ups that revved to all sorts of, you know, RPM and, uh, and, you know, German cars, which were built you know, very methodically and very differently than the other cars. So I, I kind of really liked the way, uh, you know, all, all those differences played into my life, you know, uh, into my life. So later on in life, I, I took mechanical engineering. I actually, actually went to school in Italy. I, I went to high school there. I went to go visit my grandmother. It's a funny story. I'll divert here, but I went to go visit my grandmother who lived in Italy. And uh, I started talking to other 15 year olds that were you know, my age, and they started to explain to me how high school worked there. It wasn't mandatory, you know, in, in the 80s. You, you didn't have to go to high school there. You could have went to a trade school, which is kind of cool. And so they have all these different types of high school. And I went to the mechanical school, which teaches you how to design and draft and, and be mechanical, you know, like hands-on stuff, like a real machine shop and, and all sorts of stuff. So I really, beyond just being at the, at the mechanic shop with my dad, at, you know, at a young age, I then started learning how to use all these presses and CNCs and mills. And uh, that was, you know, completely hands-on. It was fantastic. So I came back here after a few years there and I went to, uh, I went to a design school uh, here. I went to college for CAD, you know, which, which is fun, but school was so different here, you know, so academic and boring. And um, I remembered what I didn't like about school here. So I, it, it was tough to stay there. I moved my major around a bit. I took some architecture which was more design, but uh, I ended up at my dad's shop making extra money hopping up cars. And this was like uh, the 90s. Back then, the Honda craze was just coming on. If you remember back in the day, you know, the Civic, that, that progressive design of the 90s Civic started to come into play. And I started doing headers and exhaust and I was soldering chips on, on, uh, on boards and, and putting fuel pressure regulators in and 
And where there wasn't any innovation, I was making my own. So uh, I was making my own exhaust systems. I was making my own air intakes because there was maybe a friend with a Mazda who didn't have all the parts that the Civic had. So I'd make my own. And so um, that's how the beginning of RIPP, Racing is Pure Passion, started, you know, and uh, it became a thing. We raced, I campaigned a front wheel drive, pro front wheel drive race car for three years. Uh, and I won the fall nationals here at English town. That's our backyard. I had a turbocharged Integra with on the dyno, it hit 602 horsepower, but we raced with 475 and this is now like 97. So the recipe wasn't there, right? It doesn't sound that impressive now, but back then it was tremendous. And uh, it went 990 at 152, you know, with a 146 60 foot time. And it was a potato chip because it weighed 1800 pounds, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, there was this racing aspect and we did a lot of development work there. My father and I did a lot of development work there. We changed the engineering of the, of the suspension in the front. We changed the engineering of the engine mounts and we shifted weight around. So we took some of that technical stuff that I learned in Italy and his mechanical know-how. And together we sort of made this car along with some really good friends in the industry. You know, all that stuff's really important, but we were able to use the resources around this on the East Coast because this was a very West Coast thing. So a lot of people don't know that the company has that much seeded history. Uh, we have a very innovative past. If you want to know how the supercharger thing started in the late, so in the mid, in the mid to late nineties, there was the all wheel drive DSM cars, the Mitsubishis and their stick, you know, all wheel drive. And I was very passionate about Audi and rallying having grown up around the circles of people that I was into. So I used to go with these DSMs and they were like, I don't know how to call them, but they were like a cheat code, right? Because they had all-wheel drive. They came out of the whole like monsters, you know what I mean? And so 400 horsepower on those things was like a thousand horsepower in a Mustang, you know, because those things could never put the power down. And I, I got nothing against Mustangs, but those were the guys to pick on back then. You know, the 5 guys with a pair of Flowmasters and a shot of nitrous, they were like, you know, the kings of the road. So when you came out of the hole with an all-wheel drive and just left them, you know, three car lengths right there, they didn't know what hit them. It was like a new thing. It was like Tyson just that in that first two minute round. <laughs> That's what it was. But Mitsubishi then changed, remember? So they went into that new progressive design. Ugh. And then uh, so we made a, it was slow. It didn't have a turbo. It didn't have an all wheel drive system. So we developed a supercharger system for it. And that was the supercharger drive system, SDS. And for five years, I learned what not to do with a supercharger company because we failed. <laughs> <laughs> miserably. <laughs> it was a terrible situation, like totally terrible. Um, it was mismanaged because um, what do you know about producing, you know, scale parts and, and uh, over ordering and under ordering and, and profit margins, you know, you learn what not to do. So the uh, early 2000s were, were a good learning curve on what to do right. So you fast forward to the Jeep stuff and we did that right. And our, our, we were the first ones to supercharge a 3.8. And then we were the first ones to supercharge a 3.6. And we have a lot of success there because the recipe was correct. You know, we were capping horsepower properly. We're matching everything very properly, injectors and stuff. And that story, those few, these first few minutes is important because we started to data log vehicles very early on. And that's the most important thing, how the coil started. 
And what we're talking about today, the ignition coil, was based on being able to, to pay attention to the nuances and what not to ignore, right? Because any entrepreneur should be able to tell you that failure is success, right? Because you have to be able to absorb what you did wrong in order to know what to do right. So um, there was something going on in higher mileage cars and higher mileage Jeeps. And I, I point them out in my dyno videos. You know, you, you could see me on, on YouTube, you know, just muddling through a dyno run. And I'm trying to explain, wow, look at this little bump here. Oh, look at that, you know. And what happens is you start to follow that little bump in logs and in tuning. And you start to say, well, what's going on here? You know, maybe it's ignition related or maybe it's injector related or maybe it's something in the software. You know, we're dealing with things that are so new and we're hacking into these cars, you know, in different ways. So what I found was that higher mileage 3.6 liters, if we focus on that product, started to get this sort of misfire in a very, very specific condition. And it wasn't when they were under load or, or they were trying to get really good gas mileage. It turns out they had really weak coils. Um, they were weakening, you know, as they got older. So we would have clients replace them with new ones. So now what happens is as we translated from well, well, transitioned from just being a Jeep company, right? Because we sold a lot of Jeep superchargers. And now we're known for selling a lot of 3.6 liter car, right? The LX Charger Challenger and 300C, right? So we do supercharge for those. The Jeep guy, he wants his car to go 2,000 miles from home, 100 miles into the woods. You know what I mean? And so reliability is the, is the absolute compounding factor there. So they're completely content with 320 horsepower, at the wheel on their 37, that's all they need. You know, so long as you can go up the mountain, down the mountain with their family, they're happy. Translate that same kit, injector, supercharger, you know, intercooler, everything into a car guy. And all of a sudden they want 500 horsepower. And you know what I mean? Like everything's a thousand horsepower. How much horsepower can I make? So those guys now are demanding a lot more out of the fuel system, out of the engine, the ignition system, you know, the supercharger, everything. Now you start to see this ignition problem in different spots, but emulating exactly the same, right? So it's got the same kind of pattern, but in a different place. We'll look at that. And that's when I started putting the theory out there. I said, I bet you this thing might be cavitating or, or running out of juice. You know, like think about every Honda you built. You always had to put like an MSD coil, right? Good wires, a good plug because they would run out of ignition at 9,000 RPMs, you know, but who would think about that in the mid 5,000 to 6,000? And certainly on the debate as to why a manufacturer would not build a better coil is because they're not running those demands, right? They're not asking 500 wheel horsepower out of their Pentastar. We are, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like me and the, the, the 20 other thousand crazy people, you know what I mean? Like, that's, a, that's a relatively small group of people. So I cut one open just to see what was in it. You know, like you have to learn about it. You're not an ignition guy. You just know that you're a performance guy, right? And so now you're doing your own advice. You're, you're, you're consulting with yourself internally, right? The kid who built the Honda. And you're like, there's gotta be something I'm not paying attention to here. So I gotta pay attention to it because there was no item on the market. You cannot talk to somebody about this. Nobody had innovated or even brought up the topic of weak ignition. So, you know, we know the faults of let's say early ignitions, right? So you've got cap and rotor, you've got a coil, right? And uh, an old school Mopar guys will just put on a huge blaster coil, you know, with a, a wire the size of a garden hose, and you know that you need more ignition there, right? So uh, those things, the old style 
you know, what we know about them is that they lose a lot of power, right? The, you've got to turn them mechanically and you, you, you have a point system inside, you know, the rotor and it's picking it up and there's a lot of loss of power there. And so as ignition progressed to the new stuff, we get to the coil on plug, which is where we are, right? That's, that's, that's where we are in innovation. You know what I mean? There's waste spark and all that. I don't know. That's kind of boring, but that's how we get to here, right? We, we get to this coil on plug. We know that they're small. If you look at the coil on a 3.6 liter Pentastar, it's really little. It's like two and a half inches, an inch high, maybe an inch and a half across. So how much energy could it possibly make, you know? And what's the technology behind it to make it better? Maybe, maybe it can be made better. That's the question like five years ago, legitimately five years ago. So you take it apart and you blueprint it. That's what I did. Right? I'm the only one who ever did this. So I'm, I'm, I'm like literally pen and paper counting how many times it's been wound <laughs> like that, that nutcase, right? Literally just sitting there like, how many times has this thing been wound? How big is the, you know, the core on the inside? Can this be made better? You got all these questions that you want to talk to, right? You go to SEMA, right? We're a SEMA member. And I, I leave my guys in the booth and I go out and nerd out, right? And I go talk to all the big brands and legitimately nobody wanted to talk to me. I'm like, I make, I make superchargers for these. I sell a lot of them. Vortec could vouch. <laughs> you, know, you can ask Diablo too. You know, I buy a lot of tools from those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe you might want to pay attention. <laughs> so I was like, how are you not even talking to me? Well, you know, here's a card, you know, email me after the show. So it went nowhere. So, so what happens there? Like you've done the homework, you've done the research, you've got the data. How do you respond to that? What's, what's, what was your next step? To, to be honest, you know, I haven't really ever reflected on the journey. And, and that was like really pensive for me because I lost a lot of time trying to find somebody who would talk to me about this topic. So I walked through SEMA, a few SEMAs, and I walked through a couple of the developer shows as well because they have SEMA, which is the front end, and then they have the back end. And I went into the back end shows. And I, I happened upon a little booth, 10 by 10, you know, in, in the international section. And this guy made high performance ignition systems for motorcycles. And that just caught my eye. I'm like, well, maybe I should need to shift. It was literally that aha moment, right? Those guys spin to 10,000, 14,000 RPMs. God knows motorcycles spin to like the moon and back. So they have to carry that demand, you know, so they have to build these things on a different you know, on a, on a different platform than a car, you know, and I, it, it, you know, I sparked this conversation the best I could. And it wasn't a flat out. No, I had come across somebody else interested in innovation, you know, and that relationship is more important than just the product. So that was important. That went really well. There was excitement, you know, there at, at the booth and there was excitement through the email. And then uh, there was getting through the steps of designing this. And it's, it's rather complex because you are doing something nobody's ever done. You start to tailor the process of designing a coil on your own. So in my, in my idea, I had seen data from various Pentastar engines in various years and mileage and usage and think about that, fuel, country, elevation, load, people who tow, right? So we send a supercharger kit 
for a Grand Cherokee to England and that guy's towing, you know, a trailer in the back, like a camper, right? And he's sending us, hey, the car's got a misfire. What, what do you think this is? So you've got a, a completely different place where this is happening versus where it's happening here, Costa Rica in a Jeep, you know, on a 3.6 liter up at 10,000 feet elevation. But the pattern is the same. So it's not a tune thing. It's something happening mechanically that we don't have our finger on. So what I did is I got like really high mileage coils from the junkyard. So those were documented high mileage, right? So I took those and those were going to be like a baseline. And then I got like an OEM brand new one. And I put that as, a, as you know, another sample. And then I got like the cheapest one I could buy, like on eBay or something, an aftermarket solution. And we put those to the test. And this gentleman had the ability to load test these things, you know, in a rampant way. And we started documenting and blueprinting how these things operate. And lo and behold, when you really did put the, you know, the pedal to them, they would cavitate and they would run out and then they would fill back up. Because remember, it's just capacitive discharge. Right? You're not reinventing the wheel here. It's the quality of the materials. So that was the beginning. That was, oh gosh, I, I want to say five, six, seven years ago, easily six years ago. Yeah, we're here six. We had them there seven years ago. Seven. I mean, seven sounds good to me. I'll, I'll go with seven. You agree. Seven years ago. <laughs> seven it is. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. So after that, we started finding that anomaly. That anomaly led to how do we fix it? Well, a coil is simple. It's really a simple machine. It's a transformer, right? It's got an outer winding, an inner winding, an iron core, and then something that fires it. And because it's consolidated to one cylinder, right, they all are operating the same. So if one goes bad, you get a misfire on cylinder one. So we started to see whether or not we can increase the size of the package to get more capacitive capacity in it. You know what I mean? But you can't because the intake manifold folds really tight over that engine. So you can't make them higher and they sit inside the valve cover. So you can't make them any wider. So you're really confined to that design. And so what we did was we started looking at the quality of the material you can build it out of. How big can you make it inside without you know, blowing it up? So you can buy better copper, you know, less oxygen content. And remember, that's important because when you start, we'll start binding better, better copper, electricity flows over copper, you know, not through it. So the less ridges and bumps and the less oxygenation it has, the better it's going to be able to carry. So that was one of our answers, you know what I mean? Uh, the quality of the, the core inside, you know, again, you could step and ramp that up. The quality of the urethane that you put inside, which will maintain more heat and dissipate heat properly. So all of those were tests, you know, were conducted in, in, in various ways. So we get this first batch. <laughs> the minute we get the first batch, we're like, we're going to put, you know, he's group A, group B, group C, you know, whichever way he had them listed. And we're going to put him in this car, you know. And the first one failed, like, on light. <laughs> you turn him on, he's like, boop, there was no work. You know, well, you know, what are the technical notes for this? Fail, right? <laughs> you just write that down, like nothing, you know. So then you get to the next one and next one. And finally, you know, after, I don't know, maybe seven sets, we're driving them. And now you have to do these long-term tests. As, as a manufacturer of performance parts, you have to hold in very high regard your responsibilities. Because in my opinion, you have to do that long-term test. It's my responsibility to put something in your car that's going to be reliable. 
because you're going to be in the car with your kids. I have kids, your wife, I have a wife, you know, so whomever it is, that special someone is going to be pretty mad if you don't make it to where you got to go. Cause it's always on the wrong day on the wrong time. You know what I mean? So, that's, that's Murphy's law right there. So we drove them three sets of them in our office for 18, 20 months. It has to be about that long before we decided to make a pre-production run to do a wider spread test. And then because we had such a nice sales network, we were able to send them to good shops in California and good shops in Florida and good shops in Utah and Colorado and Texas and get a wider. We even said, a couple of sets out to Dubai. We have a great shop out there. And uh, at some point uh, we were doing this, this test and they, we were getting positive results back. We were getting better throttle response. We were getting, uh, hey, I picked up two miles per gallon. I felt it immediately, you know, and then a month goes by, two months goes by. And now those guys have done, you know, solid half a year of testing their own. So we decided to do a small batch of 200 sets to put to sale. And, and everybody got a thank you note and said, these are pre-production. These are brand new. Please report to us before you yell at anybody online. If something goes wrong, you know, we do our best. We had a no hassle, a no hassle warranty. If something went wrong, you know, send us back. It's all brand new product. You, you have this front loaded investment. You don't want this $300 item, you know, ruining your reputation of your $6,000 product. You know what I mean? Because you have a supercharger. You're a supercharger company, right? And it went well. You know, we had some failures in the beginning and we got them back. The clients were nice enough to send them back and uh, we were able to send them out to be analyzed. And that was really important. And we got back what we needed to do better. You know, the temperature of the welding in which you're putting something together that needs to be fixed. And, you know, uh, it's just a matter of making those production changes so that you can get more. Well, in the end, you've got a great product. You've got a, a product that is capable of keeping up with the demand of racing but does a great job daily driving, which is where 99.999% of our clients are anyway, right? Most of these guys are driving daily. And that actually brings me to a question I wanted to ask. Um, certainly a, a race engine will have no trouble spinning well past 5,000 RPM. But for those daily drivers, uh, you mentioned some of the benefits of upgrading ignition, specifically the coil packs. Do you typically see those benefits in a lower, more practical power band, or do they only really manifest up there at the top end of the RPM range? That's, that's a great question. I, and, and yeah, so if we talk about the way this works and where you feel it, to be honest, you feel it the most tipped in mid RPM, right? Because the idea of Spark is putting a lot of energy. So in the Toyota's case, we're 44% more powerful, right? So I've got some notes here so I don't lose, lose myself. But in that particular thing, right, you're able to gain 21% more power at mid RPM half throttle in. So that would represent you going, let's say, over a grade, right, or towing something and you need to pass somebody. That engine is a variable compression engine. So it does some really, really weird stuff. And when I monitored fueling in that car, because I bought a Toyota Tacoma to do tests. So I bought every car that we sell something for. And uh, I put the coils in there, I'm going to say about a week ago. And I've been doing, you know, front loaded tests. So I, the best I, I, I sneaked out of that car was 20.4 miles per gallon in my 30 mile commute each way. With the coils in place and nothing else, I was able to get four more miles per gallon. I can't advertise that because nobody drives like that, right? The only people who drive like that is like the manufacturer, <laughs> to try to get the best number out of the car. 
maybe consumer reports, right? So maybe. And me. That's like and mega mileagers, those guys. Yeah. So I would say to answer your question, the best place to enjoy them is in that mid RPM. And when you look at the dyno graphs that I that I put on, you know, that we have on YouTube, you see that I geek out there, like because we have a ton of power gain there, which means let's say when you first step on it, you're wasting a lot of fuel. So by having a stronger spark there at the plug, you're igniting more fuel, therefore making more power. Yeah. So even if the exponent all the way at the end is a 10 horsepower gain, which is a gain is a gain, right? Because that topic is fantastic. When somebody says, that's all you get, 10 horsepower. And then I respond with, look, if you were buying a Porsche (laughs) and you go from one model to another and they gave you 17 more horsepower, they charge you $70,000 and everybody's happy about it. I get these like two, two, $300 product. You put them in and you get, you know, 10, 20 more horsepower. It's pretty good. (laughs) You know, we're not talking porches either, but you know, you didn't do anything. We we put these coils in, they make more power and you're using more of your fuel. So that's really the, the big trick there. Right. So I enjoy them because it's that mid throttle stuff where I notice and I'm logging and I'm even just paying attention to the car. If I'm going over my grade that I have to go over, which is a, an overpass, normally the vehicle would have to target two gears down. So from eighth gear to sixth gear and then go 2,100 RPMs. When you put the coil in, which is more powerful, it targets one gear shift and stays at 1,700 RPMs. Exponentially, that's going to be fuel savings because it's not doing more RPM, which automatically uses more fuel, right? So that means the cam can stay a little bit more aggressive. The timing can stay a little bit more aggressive. So it becomes part of the car. It is just a better part that's doing the OEM. One thing to talk about is that we limited ourselves, but challenged ourselves to working within the parameters of the vehicle because we weren't building a race car part. We were trying to make a better OEM part so that our, our, the components that we currently sell worked better because we thought maybe it was the supercharger was fueling too much for the ignition system. But when we started testing NA, we found that the car was doing it NA too, but it was doing it softly and quietly and correcting. You, you would never catch it because whoever looked for that? Nobody. So let me ask you this, when, when our listeners are, are shopping for ignition products and you hear phrases like better spark, better spark delivery, what are we talking about? Is it energy? Is it intensity? What makes an ignition better? And like, how does that translate into a better performing engine? Yeah, it's, it's literally all of it. I mean, it's a bigger, thicker intensity voltage. It's more voltage. More voltage is everything. It's just like bandwidth in an internet, right? But you use more speed is everything, more data, more volume, everything is there. All they are is tiny amplifiers, like for your radio. That's the best combination. You know, instead of amplifying a speaker and making it louder, right? 800 watts is better than 200 watts, right? Because it's not going to bottom out and sound like crap. Uh, you're bringing more energy to a spark plug, which is igniting more fuel. And it's igniting it, you know, in the, in the manner in which the factory engine does it, which keeps it firing, you know, as the piston's going down. So remember, that's what's got to happen. That's, that's the biggest thing you want to focus on then. Because that thing continuously fires as the, as the piston is going down to ignite more and more fuel, to be more and more fuel efficient and conscious of the, of the environment, ours does not deplete energy. So it carries more energy throughout the entire cycle of the piston, right? So if you start to think about how fast something like that has to fire, I have some notes here. A four-cylinder engine spinning at 6,000 RPMs has to fire 
in five milliseconds. An eight-cylinder at 6,000 RPMs has to fire at 2.5 milliseconds between spark intervals. So what is that little amp doing? It's running out of juice, right? It's just not making it, right? It's just not, it doesn't have the, the capacity to shoot. So when you start building a better amp that's more efficient, even if it's stock, you made it better and you get 20% more power out of it, that number will always be more as it's firing at 6,000 RPM in those 2.5 milliseconds. So that's a really good way to kind of like nerd out on it, right? For the guys who want to do numbers and stuff. It's just a really big, good amp, solid state kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, don't tell me that. I'm a tube guy. I'll put a matched quad of 6550s up against any transistor, my friend. I like tubes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at the clock. We're running up against our time here. But uh, this has been a pretty interesting talk so far. Is there any coil pack topic that we really haven't discussed yet? It's, you know, I... I I like these types of exercises in, in talking it out because I don't really get to talk about them, right? Because you never, nobody's really in, interested in how you got there. You know, the, the biggest thing that we could do is say that the journey was a learning experience. The idea of you developing and innovating a product where there wasn't teaches you how important it is to develop something soundly. So we, we then went on to make our Toyota product and that had the room to make it bigger. That's 44% more powerful because I was able to change the design of it. And, and those guys are eating that up because Toyota guys are hand in hand, especially our Tacoma guys are hand in hand with Jeep guys. Nobody had ever looked at their ignition systems. Nobody had even thought about it. So in the Toyota world, we were able to increase power, increase throttle response, because anybody's driven a Tacoma and anybody listening with a Tacoma can tell you that the last thing those have is even the word throttle response. They don't have that word. Like, like, like Toyota built a car and said, nah, we don't need throttle response. Let's just, let's put in more towing capacity and leave the drum brakes. That would be great too. So that worked and we moved on to Hemi and that's where we are now, right? We, we moved on to Hemi and I was a little bit, I got to tell you, I was nervous to enter Hemi. So I tested everything, tested what was out there already. I tested the old ones, the new ones. I brought in, I don't know, 500 sets. They were sold out in a month. And the reviews on those are fantastic. And the guys doing the reviews are fantastic. And how they're doing the reviews are fantastic. They're making videos of it. They're sharing data. They're doing zero to 60 times. So in this open mic part where I want to say that I couldn't be any more humbled by that, I couldn't be any more humble than that. Like, that's absolutely a feeling, you know, of a kid who starts out at his dad's shop, you know what I mean, to this kid, you know, almost 30 years later, who's like, holy mackerel, you know what I mean? That's really cool. I'm, I'm really happy that I can innovate something for these guys and, and, and design something that, that, that is in demand now. So we're, uh, we're working on new product. We have Nissan, Honda, and uh, Ford that we're working on. And, uh, that really marks the first time we're going to go back to front wheel drive stuff and, you know, import stuff. So you've gone full circle then? I guess so. So it's, it's, uh, something's going on, but, but it certainly is, is fun. Challenging, but fun. Uh, let's go back just really quick because you, you brought up the Hemi and I'm sure we got some Hemi folks listening. Did you discover the same sort of like quill pack inadequacy with the Hemi that you did with the Pentastars? Yeah. I mean, again, once you have a design concept done, right, all that front, front loaded work that we did seven years ago, right, becomes a design philosophy, 
right? I mean, you know, guys make pizzas in all different flavors, but the idea of the pizza is pretty simple, right? I mean, it's really the way you look at it in almost any way you look at it, it's one thing fundamentally. So we have a recipe for what that is ours. And it's unlike our competitors, the, the, the way we're building it and uh, the materials we're choosing uh, exceed what I would say our competitors, because we are able to test our competitors and their loads. Uh, you know, we, we push the envelope a little bit more to be a little bit more powerful. An example of this is somebody is taking the head off the Toyota coil and wants to use it on a Nissan four-cylinder for his race car because it's more powerful than the option that he has available. So he's using it with like, you know, a Haltech or a Motec system rather and needed to get some, he was the first time I got anybody asking me about the internal functionality, you know, in dwell times of, of a coil, right? My Mopar guys, V6, Hemi guys are like, I like it. It's orange. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's Hemi orange. I, yes. Uh, but that guy, he's racing it. And so uh, I, I anxiously await his test results because then now you can make that coil head universal. You don't have to sell it with a boot. And uh, they can buy and put it in their, uh, you know, any, any race car in that, you know, if you, once you got a Motec and you have the specs to the, to the coil, you can put in anything. So the sky's the limit, right? So all of a sudden you have a company that does forced induction. And uh, now you start to concentrate on this item where there was a need. So that, yes, uh, everybody can benefit from this because it's not a race coil. It's a redesigned OEM coil. Yeah, it sounds like it could be a game changer, you know, for all levels of motorsports from grassroots on up. Uh, and, and honestly, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Uh, we've been talking with Ross Esposito from Rip Superchargers all about not only his coil packs, but, you know, uh, coil packs and ignition technology in general and, and really what it takes to, to innovate a new product in the automotive space. And suffice it to say, it's been a pretty interesting conversation. Ross, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, thank you very much. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.